everybody. Greetings, all. Welcome back to the Miser podcast. We can't start any podcast without a little music, so we're going to kick it off here. We got a couple of firsts going on here this morning. Number one, this is the earliest podcast that I've ever done. That's and yes, that's, you are number one. Uh, yes, that real number one. I'm number one. Second, uh, second, I don't have my scally cap on. This is the first podcast. And you know why? I left it in the kitchen. Don't, and you know why cut? I knew that? Because when I bent over, I could see the bald spot on top. <laughs> And we now know the secret to Patrick Fanley's hat decisions. I'm not sponsored by Boston Scally, but um, I really do like them. Maybe someday. Mm. And um, this is also really special because this is the first in-studio, in-house interview. And Lucas, you get to do it. Nice. Yes, I was excited to hear that. I also, I just want to say you're welcome for the motivation to get everything put together and wrapped up so that we could do this. Well, you know, I figured if this thing, if I screw it up and it doesn't work, then it's really no big deal. Yeah, because it's just me. It's just this, <laughs> yeah, it's just Lucas Woody. So yeah, it'll be no big deal. You can cut that one out. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? You've got a good sense of humor, and uh, you actually have a good cop sense of humor, whether you know it or not. I so, know. You've told me on, on multiple occasions I could be a cop. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> you know what? That's kind of kind of what this conversation is going to be about today is why aren't you a cop, <laughs> and why aren't more people in your generation and the generation behind you that's coming in, why aren't they interested in policing? So we're going to tap into some of the motivations and and really just the mindset of the next generation coming up. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I want to start off by saying uh, not being a cop was not an intentional choice. I didn't like write that on my vision board, like anything <laughs> but a cop, right? Uh, and we've had that conversation before yes, is, is, is why didn't I become a cop? I think... Because if your dad was a cop or your mom, they might have been telling you that. Don't do it. Well, they could have been, right? Uh, and the, um, I won't say unfortunate circumstance, just the circumstance I grew up in was we, we didn't do the law enforcement. We weren't in an army family. My, fa- my grandfather served obviously in world war, but it necessarily wasn't a, Hey, this is the, <laughs> we want to carry this through the line. Right. So it wasn't like I was ever like, nah, that's not for me. It was just never part of the conversation. Right. If I asked my parents, should I go join the army? They probably would have said no more out of protection than anything else. But right. as I got older, the idea was really alluring to me as that idea of like, you know, protecting people and and wanting to serve uh, the community and the country and the world. But, you know, things might have been different. Who knows? Now I just get a chance to, you know. Well, it's taste. not too late. Well, I know you were about to say that. I, I felt it. Uh, <laughs> I felt, felt it coming from you. Uh, I was just going to say I get a chance to help police officers, fire officers, um, firemen, and I get to drink bourbon with them on a regular occasion. So, yeah. Well, you know, that is a nice little side benefit. <laughs> so... When you say you get to help, um, tell us a little bit about what you do and what your background is, what your education is, and and what you're currently up to. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to start with what I do, uh, because if I tell you my education, you're going to be like, this guy has no idea anything about what he does in his life. <laughs> well, that's a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, right? So um, I like to start with my what I call my purpose statement. People can call it vision statement or whatever they want to call it, right? but uh, I exist on this earth to help people find the 
space, direction, and momentum to improve all aspects of their well-being so that they can live fulfilling lives and do meaningful work. Some people find that to be serving others. Some people find it to be raising vast amounts of wealth and then giving it to charities, right? Whatever it happens to be. But space, direction, and momentum are the things that I help people find. Um, So... The ways that I do that are several fold, right? I teach, I'm a lecturer over at Purdue University, um, both in health and kinesiology, which is where a lot of my background is, but then also in um, entrepreneurship. So I help people figure out what they want to do in their careers and then give them the tools to go and figure that out. And so that's where I do a lot of my teaching. I also own a couple businesses. One of them is called Next Better. That's my coaching slash consulting kind of business. And that's where I really help people find that direction and the momentum. Where do you want to go in life? And then what's the next better step that you can take to get you there? Um, I also own an event management company called Momentum Event Management. Well, that's where the momentum goes in. We put on meaningful, engaging, and memorable experiences so people can find and pursue their passions. So those are kind of the businesses. I owned a fitness business for a little while. Um, That was fun. COVID also ruined that amongst other things. But you know what? It actually gave me a lot of time, way too much time for introspection. And, and I determined I didn't want to do that at that point. And that's a whole nother story. But yeah. COVID did that for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. A little, little look in the mirror, a little self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of the spaces that I work in. Um, obviously, you know, we know each other from a lot of different places, but the common theme is always around how do I help people get out of the rut? How do I help people stop for a moment? Um, Somebody the other day used the term, oh, your company is a pattern disruptor. And I really like that, that idea of let's stop for a second and let's, you know, hyper-focus on this one thing just to go, hmm, maybe I'm not living my life the way that I want to. What can I do to get there without it having to be something as drastic as a heart attack or I lost my job, right? Like how do we have those smaller (laughs) pattern disruptors so that we don't have to drastically change our life and or die to (laughs) to make a change? So, um, yeah, that's what I do. Well, we could go a lot of directions with that in terms of pattern disruptor and and having that first heart attack. (laughs) Sadly, and and we actually, I wasn't even going to talk about health and wellness stuff, but doubted. For, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Even even the best plans, right? Yep. The, the truth is police officers are very, very unhealthy um, as a population. 70, 70 to 80% of police officers are overweight. It's close to 40 number, 40% being obese and now approaching, I think it's 20% for morbid obesity. Sure. 70% of police officers are insulin resistant and don't know it. Yeah. Um, and, to, and to put that into perspective, the, the general population is somewhere between 60 and 70% right. uh, overweight. And then of that, a good portion of those are obese. And then, yeah, so similar, but police officers, as we've talked about, are a little bit higher on the scale. They're skewed a little bit to the worse end. That's why my friend, Dr. Jim Greenwald, who I've done a lot of work with over the years uh, on, on the wellness front, lab testing, police panels, he always says the police can lead the nation out of this metabolic mess. Mm. That's what he calls it. Mm. And, um, and I, and you know what? He believes it. He's a really, really passionate about helping cops, which is why I love working with him. He, he's a really, really great human being, but he's right. And you know, his background, I'll, I'm, I've told him he's going to have to come on the show and really talk about his background, about how he got interested in, in working with cops because he he's not like a an internist or a, or even like a family physician right he came from the orthopedic side mm-hmm. of medicine um, kind of like um, 
a couple other people that we know. And mm-hmm. he he realized when he started to do the research about why cops are so sick, why occupational care costs are so high, why heart attacks are so prevalent, is because of all of these different impacts from shift work to you know obesity, nutrition, lack of exercise, high stress, unmitigated stress, unregulated stress. And he was like, wow, this is kind of a mess. Mm. And uh, so I digress. But that, but that's kind of nice because you've got a really good background to talk about this with your background in, in physiology. And I think um, it might be important to note, too, that you run, you know, you run some really cool races. Uh, one you do every year uh, through Momentus is called the, uh, the Ruck and Run, which we mm-hmm. do to support, uh, support our Indiana Veterans Home. Yeah, Battle of the Brave. Yeah, Battle of the Brave. And I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pat myself on the back here. Please do. I won it one you, year. Yeah, in the ruck run. Absolutely. Um, we won't talk about what you did this year at our race, <laughs> which was, as my wife likes to point out, absolutely nothing because you never showed up. Yeah. Well, I went on vacation. <laughs> I went to, and this was a, a long planned vacation that my wife and I had, and uh, we went to Hawaii. <laughs> and I wasn't giving up Hawaii to go uh, torture myself. Um, but I don't mind torturing myself, right? I, I like doing stuff like that. It's sure. fun. And uh, I think that's one of the things that we have in common, right? Do hard things, uh, yeah. see where you, see where you wind up on the other end. Yeah. The choices that choosing to do hard things now makes not choosing, not having a choice easier later. Right on. Yeah. Now, the other thing I think is cool about your background is the coaching aspect because, you know, this podcast is, is sponsored by performance protocol, which is a coaching company. Uh, that that is bringing this methodology to law enforcement, to the front line and the administrative ranks of police departments, because everybody everybody needs it. And uh, I was about I retired at year twenty, just right at the end of my twenty seventh year from policing. But it wasn't until year twenty five that I worked with a coach for the first time, and it was and I wrote about it recently in a blog that I wrote. Um, called resistance is futile mm-hmm. it was kind of a playoff of a star trek theme mm-hmm. and I, I know everyone's gonna think i'm a trekkie after watching it. i'm really not but there are certain things that kind of jump out at you <laughs> when you watch that uh my next one is more it's more my speed it's about looney tunes there you go <laughs> yeah absolutely that's your intellectual <laughs> capacity right there yeah um yeah stand by for that one folks that's uh, ralph and sam uh yeah sam the shepherd is it yeah what is it ralph and sam yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, so you, your mission statement, I think, is pretty cool. And I, yeah. I don't, I've never, I haven't met a lot of young people that can articulate so clearly what you just did. So you know, pat yourself on the back. Sure. Well, I got to give some props to Simon Sinek. So the um, the book Start with Why, uh, yeah. which is a phenomenal book about how the people who who understand why they do what they do are so much more powerful in terms of influence. And, and ultimately I wanted to, you know, I, I could go really deep about why I do what I do and where the impetus came from for that. But it really boils down to, I want to influence other people to empower themselves to live fulfilling lives. And so I started doing some journeys about 
how do I do that? And the first thing is you got to know why you do what you do. If you don't know why you do what you do, then how the hell am I going to help you understand why I do what I do? Right. And so then I read the book, start with why there's a, there's, and there's a supplemental book. So if you're tactical, if you like strategies and plans and, and ways to do things step-by-step step, um, called find your why. And it literally gives you the step-by-step step. you, you find a partner, you go through this process and you come out with this version 1.0. So my version is version like 14.7, right? Like I've been doing that been for, at a it while. for a bit. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, so you come out with that, that mission statement. And what's nice about that is you now have a clear articulate way of saying why you do what you do so that you can make decisions better about why you would do something like go into law enforcement, because can law enforcement help me fulfill the mission of my life or my, you know, if you're religious, my God given purpose, right? So it, it just, it can really help you find the path that you're looking on when you're having these hard conversations about what to do next. That's pretty cool. You know, Simon Sinek presented, um, he's presented multiple times now at the IACP annual convention. That's hmm. the international association of chiefs of police. And, um, I had actually read his book before I saw him present. So that was kind of cool. And his message is so powerful for law enforcement. I, I you know, it just, it's one of those things that kind of helps me confirm that I'm on the right path here. My, my background, how I got into, um, you know, a certain aspect of coaching was coaching physical fitness, nutrition from the CrossFit methodology perspective. But really that was kind of an amalgamation of a lot of other things involved in trial and error learning. Mm-hmm. which is, again, I wrote about that in that, in that blog post, um, in that article, but it's, it's not the most efficient way to learn. Mm. And it, because you have to recognize that you're doing something wrong before you realize that you're not doing it right. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes that one thing that, that helps you put all the puzzle pieces together could be the one thing that ends it all for you too. Mm-hmm. Like, damn it, I should have been doing this differently all yeah. along. Yeah. So, you know, where a coach comes in and, uh, you know, they can really help bring in a clarity to an individual. And, you know, one of the things, and I want to talk about this a little bit because I was nervous when I worked with my coach the first time. I'm like, most people are, well, what do I need to, you know, I'm like, is this guy going to like, you know, try to like make me talk about my feelings. And <laughs> first <laughs> like, day, first I, day we're going to talk. About I have feelings. no interest in this. I'm like, shit, you know what I get myself into. And then, uh, but he was hardcore, man. I mean, he was no joke. Very, very good. A PhD level coach. And he was just kind of, I mean, we spent like five, 10 minutes just kind of chatting and get to know each other. And then he was like, all right, I don't want to waste your time and I don't want you wasting mine. So let's get at this. And, you know, and then we just went into a conversation and you know what, uh, for, for all the, the cops listening, I think cops truly appreciate that type of approach, mm-hmm. you know, it, because, it's it's not that you know the you know that flowery kind of feeling and and maybe maybe are, there are times when that is appropriate depending on what you know the subject of what you're talking about but you know it's really kind of like and again I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about it but it's good to set it up for people that maybe haven't listened to me before because after that you know after the first 20 minutes I was hooked I was in the hour just was boom it was gone and then in, through the program that I was doing I had to do um I think it was four more sessions. And once I was done with them, I was like, damn, 
Like I could, I, yeah. Like mm-hmm. I wish I had more sessions involved in this. Yeah. But after the at the end of the first session, I completely changed my morning routine, and uh, that really, you know, it was so impactful for me. I was like, holy cow! Like, why didn't I do this? Yeah. You know, years before, why did I wait until the end of my career <laughs> to get coaching instead of doing it at the beginning? Uh, because you know, every every fork in the road brings an opportunity to learn something new. And, and quite frankly, having a coach when you're at those decision points in your life, a, a coach can really help you bring clarity to what it is that you want to do. Yeah. Uh, and and maybe maybe help you skirt the things like that we try to avoid. Yeah. You know, we talk about, you know, we just joked about it, right? Do hard things. Um, it's easy to avoid doing hard things. But that's, you know, but growth is always at the back end of doing, getting outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. So, I, I think what you're doing is really cool. And now maybe this is a good way to kind of segment uh, segue into really why I wanted you here. I mean, other than, you know, to help you, you know, drink, you know, have you drink my coffee. Absolutely. And, which is delicious, by the way, I'm almost done. So when I'm done, I'll, I'll head out and you can keep talking, but no. <laughs> all right. Yeah. We won't geek out on the coffee. Um, all right. But there, there is a medicinal purpose to this coffee. It's got, it's mushroom infused. Mm-hmm. It's organic. You're geeking out. Okay, I, I'm going to have to a little bit. <laughs> because, you know, a lot of people use Keurigs, and I had a Keurig in my office at work. But now, again, do your research. But when you Keurig, the problem with those, the pods, is that they're plastic, they're sealed, and coffee has moisture in it. Mm-hmm. So what does moisture do when it's sealed in plastic? It gets moldy. It gets moldy. And so... Look, do research, find out which which uh, Keurig cups are the ones that are better tested, that are most most likely not that not yeah. going to have molds because molds can have neurotoxins that can that can cause all kinds of issues for you. This is how you get sponsored on podcast, by the way. I don't think this is a digression at all. No. I think you're 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 secretly trying to get sponsored <laughs> by the coffee company that you haven't named yet. So yeah, well, you know, when we're done. Lucas, we'll see how he does. If he rates well, then we might go break into the uh, the Kona stash that oh, I just brought back from Hawaii. The one that and, you went to get instead of coming to my race. And you know, hearts out to all the people. I, you know, sadly, I was I was just in um, Lahaina just not even a month ago, and it was just tragic to see what's going on there. I'm not sure when this episode's going to air, but uh, Performance Protocol is doing some cool stuff. Um, Maui is one of our customers and we're going to be looking for ways to support them through our coaching business. Yeah. And, um, one, one of those things is providing free coaching sessions for, uh, for those officers and, and yeah. what they're experiencing. Well, one of the things, you know, I, I always talk to people about coaching. You hit on so many points of coaching that I would love to dive into, but there's not enough time in the year. So the, what, but one of the focuses I have with coaching, cause so many people have the same reserves, about coaching, they're like, am I going to talk about my feelings, right? Well, you're really thinking of therapy. And coaches feel like therapists a lot of times. In fact, we hear things that therapists should be hearing instead of coaches. So the way I really delineate the two is coaching is focused on helping you optimize your future. Therapy is focused on helping you fix your past. And so if... That's a great way to put it. Thank you. Yeah. Now there's obviously gray areas, so I'm going to get a lot. You're going to get a lot of emails from therapists. I apologize for that, but <laughs> there's a lot of the gray areas. I doubt it. I there. doubt I have any therapists listening <laughs> to the show, but, but, it, but they, but 
you know, they can definitely help you fix your future and, and help you with optimizing it. But that's what coaches do. They o- they only focus on the future. They may they may talk about your past enough to help you recognize obstacles in your way, but they're not going to help you try to fix those things. So when you think about how can we support people in Maui, one of the hardest things about going through a travesty like that is I can't even think about the future. Right. I, I don't even like what's the point. Right. Like all these desperations and despairs. Um, and this happens with every travesty we go through is like, you know, COVID happened. It hit a lot with COVID is is there even a future? Like what's the what's the point of all this? And so getting them to very quickly start to look for positives in the future. What can I look forward to next week? or tomorrow, right? What are the things that I can fit? And you hear this a lot and even things like um, firefights in the seals, right? Like I'm not worried about the mission at this point, right? If, if, if stuff goes down, I'm worried about getting from here to that point. And when I say, once I get to that point, then I'll figure out what I'm going to do from there, right? So it's, right. it's managing those things in micro steps, hence the name Next Better for my company. But that's how we can support, as coaches, we can support those things. And that's where it differs a lot from a lot of the talking about feelings, right? And as a great coach, like your coach was, you adjust how you speak to people. So a great coach is going to know cops don't really want to deal with the bullshit and the fluffy, right? They want to get down to business. They want to know how this is going to help me get better. Perfect. Let's do that. Right. Um, so that's great that you had that experience and that's, that's my 12 cents of, of coaching, but, um, yeah. All right. Let's get to the core of this because we could, uh, we could clearly uh, talk for many, many hours. So, one of the things that I wanted to touch on with you today is in policing right now, there is a huge problem. We have a, a very serious recruitment issue in that we're not getting enough young talent coming into the profession. The talent that we do have is leaving sooner. And the development of those inside of police departments is, is really stagnating even though we have some of the best training available that we've ever had. And I, you know, it's not all doom and gloom to me because I do feel like policing has never been better. And I say this often, it doesn't mean that we can't get better. And it doesn't mean there aren't certain aspects of the profession that need to improve, but to just make a blanket statement that policing is broken, it needs to be completely reimagined. When people say that, I, I, the, my next question is, what does it mean to reimagine the police? Because generally what that means is people are trying to find ways where they can make themselves feel better about how the police are operating in in communities when the messaging that's coming to them is all negative. Like the police are, you know, they're they're oftentimes racist. They're oftentimes using excessive force. Uh, They're oftentimes seeking out. Uh, opportunities to violate people's rights. And that's just, it couldn't be further from the truth, but that, you know, but it, there's no shortage of stories on the news that, that legitimately can make people question some, sometimes because you see these cases of police misconduct. Um, and not all of them are actually misconduct, by the way, it, there are no doubt that some of them are, are truly, um, you know, poor policing, criminal in nature, and and those things need to be addressed. But I think what sometimes people lose context in is there is there is almost a million police officers in America. Every year there's close to 50, 50 million police citizen contacts. And of those, I think it's 
zero. That's four zeros, right? Mm -hmm. Zero, zero, four. That of those encounters that lead to deadly force Mm -hmm. Um, or deadly force that involves people that might be unarmed. So, you know, these things are not common. They're not happening all the time. It just seems like that because of the way the information comes. Mm -hmm. Man, I went so far down that rabbit hole. A little bit, yeah. Um, With all that being said... With all that being said, we got a problem. People don't want to do the job anymore. And and that has a huge impact and a huge influence on why. And now on top of that, you've got uh, the 18 to 35 age group is shrinking, right? We're, Americans are not having as many children. This started, you know, a couple generations ago. Mm-hmm. So the available bodies coming into the workforce are declining. And now everything else is being more competitive. You have the private sector that's competing for people and, and, and talent um, that often used to go into things like public safety professions, even the military, and it's, it's not going that way. So how do, we, how do we turn this around? How do we start thinking about the messaging for these next generations about why they might want to join policing? It's a great question. When we find a young person, we should ask them. Uh, no, nah, I'm teasing. It's all relative. That's right. So, so there's so there's so many levels to what you just started to talk about, right? And so, and one of the things I try to tell everybody that I work with as as a coach, if I'm doing my job well, I'm not giving any answers. I'm just helping to formulate better questions, right? Which is always annoying to everybody. So, (laughs) but, but I do not want to give any sort of illusion that I'm about to break this code, right? Like, (laughs) like you'd get a lot of listeners and a lot of people sending hate mail. So saying this is why you're wrong, right? And I don't ever want to say factual things. I want to tell people, obviously everything I say is an opinion. Uh, And there's, if there was an easy answer to this, we wouldn't be talking about it because it already well, been solved. Facts. Well, I, well, you do get some facts, right? And I love those facts. So, so I want to start with kind of the question of why is it important that we get more police officers, right? Like, why why is that a a focus that we should be having within the world of policing? And I'm going to let you answer that so that we can set up a little bit more context. Well. Yeah, and that's really a message that needs to go to communities. Mm-hmm. And right now, I don't think people truly, I, I think they're starting to figure it out. Like, we're now that we're a couple years post this defund the police movement, and we're starting to see that the chaos that's ensuing in certain areas. Um, and you'd have to be literally ignorant or blind to it to, to try to say that it's not happening, sure. um, because it is. With that in mind, communities need to understand this because when we message this in a way that says the policing profession is no longer a noble profession Mm -hmm. um, and, and people that enter that profession are no longer the type of people that I will admire and look up to, then people going into the profession kind of lose that, that sense of self-sacrifice and service to their communities and to their country for a greater cause. Sure. Like, I'm going to go do something that's bigger than myself. Yeah, and yeah. If you don't feel like you're being appreciated for for potentially giving your life to protect other people, you're less likely to do it because that is the altruism that you are looking for in your service. And that's and that's the kind of people that we're looking to come into the profession. We're sure. looking for people that aren't doing it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of fun things about the about the profession. Um, yeah. 
you know, so a lot of those things are changing, right? That make it less fun. That could be sure. another topic, right? But yeah. Um, but if you, I would argue, if you go into policing for those fun things, fundamentally, right, like at its right. core, then you're not going into it for the right reasons, Absolutely. right? At, at its core, you should be going into policing because you are giving the ultimate sacrifice, potentially, to serve your community, to keep it safe so that you know when your wife and your son, like myself, are in bed sleeping at night that they can be protected, whether you're there or you're not. And so to that point, Pat, I think one of the the things that a lot of companies in in general, not just policing, but a lot of companies are struggling with is they're spending a lot of time speaking to the youth. And I say this with experience speaking to high school level students, college level students, just and everybody in between. They're speaking to them in a way that they used to be spoken to about the benefits of a job so that they think this is what people want to hear. So for instance, pay, right? Like people are like, well, obviously pay is the big thing, right? And, to a degree, some people are misconstrued and think that pay is what's important to them because a lot of us are very self unself uh, aware. So they talk about pay, they talk about benefits. Those are even things you said at the beginning, right? More and more people that are going into the workforce care less and less about how much they make and what the benefits are. They want to know a couple things. One, that what they're doing matters. And it matters in a way that matters to them, not to their boss, not to their superiors, but it matters to them, right? So I'm doing something that is meaningful to me. They also want to know that those values do align with the values of the company, right? So you see so much more this concept of if a, if all your company does is sell socks, then that's not good enough for me. I want a company that also has good values. So you look at a company like Bombas, who every time you buy a pair of socks, they give it to a pair of socks to the homeless, right? I'm going to pay extra money, which is counterintuitive because if it's all about money, they wouldn't pay extra money, right? I'm going to pay extra money to that company because they're doing good work, right? And we could, this is another rabbit hole. We won't go down. I'm yeah, going to force you not to, but, but, the, the concept of money to younger people is becoming less and less understandable, right? You think about, like, there, there are going to be kids this in our near future, probably exist now, that have never touched a piece of cash. You know how hard it is for them to understand the value of money if they've never touched it? So, and now we're talking about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, all that, right? It's another conversation about financial health and wellness, but the concept remains the same. If I don't, if I don't value money then it's obviously not the thing that I care most about in my job. I need to be able to pay the rent. I need to be able to do all those things. But I need to go into a job understanding its purpose. But but people aren't talking about that, right? And this day and age, people will have, so young professionals, college-age kids, will have had three to six jobs by the time that they're two to three years out of college, right? So they're they're cycling through things because they're trying to figure it out. And this day and age... There, there used to be a risk that when you had a resume that had something that said you were there for six months, that was a red flag. That was bad, right? Like, oh my God, like you're jumping around all over the place. Well, and I think that probably for a lot of police recruiters, I mean, they are looking at things like that. And it's, this is, let's stop and just kind of pick this one up for a little bit because the, the red flag that you're talking about generally means, well, maybe this person lacks commitment. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't really know what they want yet. And in the policing world, this is just the old paradigm. Is it, it, But it's there for a reason. Right? 
it costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of time and, and a, a significant investment to train a new police officer to get them just to where they're a minimally viable sure. officer. We're talking 12 to 18 months. Um, if you're doing it right, mm-hmm. minimum of 12 to 18 months. And now we're seeing, we're, we're now, you know, in rates around 30% where officers are leaving within three to seven years, not just leaving their department, but moving on to another profession. So yeah. this, this belief in policing amongst older police leaders is that, you know, this next generation, they don't care. They don't want to work hard. Yeah. They're, they're only concerned about themselves and yep. they're just trying to figure things out. And we can't afford to go through this because now, uh, and, and here and here's the reality side from a police recruitment perspective and and on the retention side is that if it takes me 18 months if I, if I lose it if let's just say my staff is 150 and I, an officer retires on January 1st I can't hire his replacement until January 2nd mm-hmm. and so now his replacement isn't even yeah. somebody that I can count on in my numbers until the following year sure so now I'm that, there's a gap that I have, and yeah. now you multiply that by 10. I've got 10 officers, 15 officers, and I have to, fi- I have to hire 15 more. And in that time, the existing workforce, there's pressure on that existing workforce because the calls for service keep coming in. Nothing changes about that. Sure. So you know, it's it, like there is trepidation about, well, do I want to hire somebody that I don't think is going to be here in three years? Well, here's the problem with that. You say you can't afford to hire somebody else. You can't afford to ignore that society as a whole is changing from that, right? Now, can you find somebody who's going to stick around for 12 years, 15 years, 20 years? Absolutely. But you have to significantly change the way that you're speaking to them so that they want to be a part of that, right? You talk about um, hire somebody and train them so they can go anywhere and treat them so they never want to leave, right? Now, you know, this is going to be different for everything, but society as a whole has gotten away from you. You sit down, you get a job, you're there for 25 years because your dad did it. Now you're doing it and you, you know, that's just what you do. We don't, we don't need that anymore in our, in our lives. And so, you know, you think about, you go back even further, you talk about, you know, you get a job as a cobbler because your dad was a cobbler and, and his dad before him was a cobbler in the village and everybody in the village needs a cobbler. So why wouldn't you be a cobbler? You have the skills and you have the need right there, right? Right. That craps out the window, right? That doesn't exist anymore. And so people have a lot more options. They have a lot less loyalty to something. And if we want to go a little bit bigger picture, you think about social media and the, the ram ramifications of, of being behind a computer screen all the time. People have trouble trusting that not just police force, but like their organization, right? So there's, there's, inabilities to create relationships because we don't know how to build relationships because our societal connection with other people are are likes and thumbs up and tweets, right? And so now they don't know how to go into an organization and stay there for a long period of time. And when another opportunity presents itself, it's socially acceptable to go, oh, I'm going to go over there, right? And we we hear it and and they speak into it as a, oh, well, they're going to pay me 20,000 more. So I'm going to go over there. What they're really trying to say is those people value me more than here. And the only way I can understand value in my, my limited frame of mind is more pay, more pay to them equals more value, but that's not really what they're looking for. They're looking to be respected and heard and understood and valued within that organization. And so 
I agree with you wholeheartedly. Every organization, it costs somewhere around six times more to recruit new talent than it does to retain that talent, right? So policing isn't the only thing. Now, I would argue the training is a lot longer. There's a lot more risk to it. But yeah, and, and, you know, so in policing now, I think we're finally coming to terms with this, right? After, after seven, eight years of really struggling to understand this, um, that we, we really do need to change the way that we're operating. And we've talked a few times about like, a on this show about maybe adopting more of a military model, like a special operations type of model where you're hiring enough people that you can rotate people into into a work environment and then into a training environment and into a rest and recovery environment. So you're dosing them in a way that they're that you're not overtaxing them, which but the problem with that, that requires at least at least one third, uh, you know, in my estimates, and I've done this before, uh, I literally sat down and did the math and trying to figure it out for myself. I, w- I would need to have about an increase of about 38% in my workforce, I think was the last time I did it. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, going to a city council and saying, man, hey, we're a 150 officer agency. I really need it to be around, you know, 210. And if I had it around 210, this is what we could do. But, you know, that's everything is a, everything is a, in a right for everything someone says yes to, you're saying no to something else. So it's balancing priorities. Sure. Um, now, also, the interesting thing about what you said, and, and here here's the lesson for police leaders now. If you're still thinking that way in terms of, I, I you know, I've only, I'm only going to hire the people that are going to be here for 20 years, you're already behind the power curve. You will be out of a job very soon because so, you can't bring people on board. Yeah, so the, I think what we really have to accept is that, we probably should just plan for the attrition rate to within three to seven years to be 20 to 40%. Mm-hmm. Um, and that does, and that's even in, in environments where everything is going really well, because there are always people that are, are going to see what's going on on the other side of the fence. And that's always going to be better. So they're just going to go. Yeah. Um, and then if you, you know, if you focus too much attention on trying to keep them, then you don't value the people that you do have. So yeah. it's, yeah. Uh, it's a really fine line to try to balance. Yeah, and I, I like that you say that. I, w- I would argue that you can build it in such a way that people do want to stick around, but th- that's going to require a couple things. Uh, one of those things, I remember seeing in the show notes that you talked about, like, you know, how do you how do you help people understand the career path that they could be on, right? right. I had a conversation with one of my clients about literally, once one thing I did with one of my businesses, was I outlined what the first 10 years of their career was going to look like. People really want to see a step-by-step path to get them from where they are to where they want. They want to know what that journey looks like, what it's going to take to invest it, and if it's worth their time. Because people right now suffer so much from FOBO, right? Fear of better options. If I can see that this is a this is a good path, <laughs> this is a good option, FOBO. right? Um, if I can see that, that that path that I'm on is clear, I'm much more likely to want to be a part of it. So that's one of those things. Another one is, so um, my wife was a zookeeper for uh, for a long time. She's a head zookeeper. So we had tons of conversations about how to how to help her team. And one of the th- problems with her team was it's very seasonal. So they have five senior zookeepers that were always they always worked there, right? They were long they were they're long-term, they were career-based zookeepers, right? A majority of the workforce was volunteer-based or it was seasonal work. So they would come in for the summer and then they would leave, come in for the summer and leave. And she struggled so long with this concept of 
you know, hey, all my workforce is going to be gone. And like, oh, how I do wanna, I keep? How... I want to go take care of the pretty animals. <laughs> but why do I have to clean up all the poo poo? Right. <laughs> okay. Yes, but not the point I'm trying to make here, Pat. <laughs> I know. So the she would she would fear that you know, like, how am I supposed to help people be engaged and retain them if they're going to be leaving anytime soon? So one of the fundamental changes we had to make in her mind was this is not a zoo for long term career. What this is, is this is a zoo that helps people become the best of the best at a lot of things. So when they go to other zoos and apply, they are the number one candidate that everybody wants. And it worked. We, that, the zoo that she worked at, when people went to other zoos, very often, and zoos are hard to get into, it's a hard career to crack. They, very often they were getting those applications to much larger zoos because the zoo that she in valued their people. They had a tremendous culture, which was a lot to do with her because if you've ever met my wife, she's awesome. Um, it taught you a lot of different skills in a lot of different areas so that when you went to I'm other gonna, zoos. I'm going to ring the bell. I'm going to ring the bell for like brownie points for, for right? Lucas for saying that. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. So when, when they had a lot of experience on a lot of different worlds. So what my point is, is that if you better understand fundamentally what your organization can help you do, you're more likely suited to be able to help people see how they can progress in their career. So maybe they are a 15-year, 20-year program, but you're more likely to help them see that path and want to stay with it for longer rather than just saying, hey, we're the, we pay you the most right out of the gate. Okay, what's that mean for me 20 years down the line? Hey, listen, I'm going to go on the record right now and just say, if anyone thinks, if anyone ever has seen the the presentation that Performance Protocol does when they talk about recruitment, retention, uh, I didn't prompt Lucas on any of this stuff, but you're literally going down the checklist of things that we find in the pre-surveys and the Mm post-surveys. What are are employees looking for? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a lot of validation that's going on here. Um, and this is coming from someone outside of policing. So it's not necessarily an issue that's unique to policing. I just think in policing, we're, we're, we're struggling to understand this sure. because generally, you know, your administrators in policing like me, um, you know, I'm 45 to 55 as a police chief from, I'm a clearly a Gen Xer and, you know, I'm, you know, right on that, right on that cut point there, you know, I'm almost right. I was born in 67. Right. So was that make, almost makes me like, uh, I don't know, I guess that puts You're me just dead a great set, guy. just dead set. You're right. Just a in great there. guy. But you know, even, and, but some of these things are hard to see when you're in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you're feeling the pressure of having to negotiate these challenges, um, when you separate, like I've been retired now for over a year. And I remember, I remember actually having a, a conversation with, my predecessor, um, about six months into my tenure as chief, you know, and I, I invited him to lunch and we went out to one day and I'm just like, all right, now that you've been gone for six months, what would you do differently if mm-hmm. you came back? And, you know, he told, we had a great conversation about it. And matter of fact, we just had lunch again last week nice. and it was kind of a very similar conversation. Right. And, and, um, you know, some of these things in life are just kind of hard. And again, this is another reason to work with a coach, people. Correct. If, uh, because you you can. It's better to it's better to figure these things out. You know, when when there are sticking points for you, rather than when it's too late to be able to do anything sure. well, about. Let it. me ask you so, this, Pat. You're in a unique situation. You've retired. How much do you wish you could go back with the knowledge you have now and fix things? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to go back. 
Um, I really don't. Um, I think my tenure was probably, I really wanted to, COVID was kind of one of those things that kind of kept me there a little bit longer sure. than I wanted. But it was also, you know, interestingly enough, one of the things that was the catalyst to, to allow me to be able to retire. And this is like, we're talking pay and pensions and, you yeah. know, future, all that stuff. But I was really, I, I want to to move on and do other things. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't want my life to be defined by, hey, I was a cop. I don't want, I, you know, and I'm very, very proud of what I did. I had a ton of fun. I, I met a lot of great people. Um, but to, but to your point, absolutely. If I could go back, you would be like, yeah, all right. It's easy to say, it's easy when you're on the back end and you can, you know, you get a little bit of clarity, but, um, but one of these things that I think that I would have fought a little bit more for were it would be, um, and, and we actually kind of had some of these conversations, but it's just hard to do. It's hard to convince us, um, um, you know, from, from a monetary perspective, how do you increase, increase your workforce exponentially when you can't, you can't really justify it from a call perspective, um, you know, at the time that we were going through this, but now in hindsight, it's like, man, I wish if we could have done something like that, right. You always have in, in, and so here's, here's maybe a, a lesson for leaders now. Think about this, build cushion into your workforce. So that might mean going to your city council or, or whoever, you know, whatever, whoever the governing body is and whoever writes the checks and say, look, our allotted manpower is 500. Um, but we've been running for the last five years at 400. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way, the way laws are written around, like staffing and, and payment, um, we're going to have to find ways where we can say, let's actually, let's actually increase our minimum manpower allotment to 650. But we know that we're probably never going to operate at 650. Sure. But we need to have the cushion so retirements and people leaving don't impact us negatively and they don't have such a detrimental effect on your existing workforce. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just one example. Sure. But yeah. the, the, the limitation goes back to what we were talking about, which is getting people to actually want to sign up, right? And right. and you mentioned something that I think a lot of people could be offended by if they don't understand the context of it, which was, I don't want my life to be defined as just being a cop, right? <laughs> and if you hear it like that, and your audience is going to go, what are you talking about? Here's, here's another way that I try to share it with people. And this is exactly what the kind of language we need to be using with people we want to recruit. I'm getting coached up, folks. You being you being a cop, everybody, right? This is free of charge. Uh, you being a cop is one of the platforms by which you can live into your message, right? So, for instance, my first degree was in wildlife biology. I do nothing with wildlife biology, right? But the thing that I do now is I work, I do an event management company. I do coaching and consulting. I lecture at a college. What do all of those things have in common? Well, from the outside looking in, not a lot, right? But if you know my mission, you know my purpose in life to give people the space, direction, and momentum to improve all their aspects of their well-being, right? So that's my message. The platform that I do that can vary in a lot of different ways. So when you're speaking to people and trying to bring them on board, you don't want to speak to the platform. You don't want to say... Being a cop's awesome because you get all these benefits, all these salaries, you get to carry a gun, blah, 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 blah. What you say is, if you're the type of person that believes that being able to sleep at night, being able to protect your family, and being able to see children playing out on the streets is an important part of being in a healthy community, one way you can do that very thing is to serve on the police force. 
And here's the things that you're going to be able to do through the police force that's going to allow that to occur. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. All right. See, another reason why I needed to retire. <laughs> right. And, and I really do. I, I, that was one of the conversations that I had with my predecessor. You know, how, how long is long enough? How long is too long? Mm -hmm. And I, it's going to be different for everybody. Look, I know I, I've met chiefs that have been chiefs for over 20 years. Um, and, uh, you know, no way that just wasn't going to be me. Yeah. Um, but good for, good for them. Right. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's, that's very commendable. Enough, and But here's another important reason that kind of ties into that, why we need to think a little bit differently about the workforce and how long we work. The way our pensions are set up, it's a 20-year pension. It's kind of like teachers and others. Now, our pensions in Indiana need a lot of work. Mm -hmm. They disincentivize uh, engagement in the promotional process because it, there, I don't even want to go into all that. But, you know, there is a financial reason. And for people in my generation, right, uh, that's what we were told, right? Get a job that's steady, that's going to pay the bills, and that's dependable. Mm -hmm. This generation doesn't think like that. And why right? not? Because, because there is a disease, a, a pandemic that literally taught us <laughs> not everything is secure, right? So we can't we can't look at somebody in their eyes and say, go get a secure job and you'll be set up for life because they lived through a moment where that wasn't true. Yeah. So I think we need to build flexibility into the system mm -hmm. because there are a lot of people that do. I mean, this is what, I mean, they literally knew from a young age that they had this calling mm -hmm. that they want to go help people they and they're going to they're going to work in law enforcement for 30 to 40 years and the only time they're they're not taking the badge off until someone practically takes it off them right like you can't do it anymore but the reality is that policing also is especially working the street is a young officer's game it doesn't mean that you can't stay on top of your game and be very productive in your, in your 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and one of the things that I'm I'm very proud of is that, uh, you know, I've focused a lot on my, my physical health and you know, all of those skills where tactically and technically, uh, I could throw my uniform on and, and hit the street today and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be concerned about my safety sure. other than, you know, you get ambushed or something. There's a lot of things wow. to be concerned about. What I'm saying is, is that I, I, I would be for proficient to be able to go do it. Sure. I, I can still uh, exceed my minimum SWAT standards mm -hmm. that we have for firearms and for all that. All that being said, you know, that's, you know, to do that is very commendable. And I, I have a tremendous amount, amount of respect for officers that can do that, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, because that is a grind. I mean, going out, working the street, working in, in a patrol environment, because every day you go out, you're dealing with everybody at their worst, um, whether it's because of choices they made or others made for them. Sure. That that is a lot of that's a lot of stress for someone to carry, um, and people do it and they do it very well. But also, there is there is this component to it that look, maybe we need to think about well, for the for the people that are in the long term, here's some pension options for you where we can set you up for long term security. But for people Maybe there's flexibility that we can find in there where, look, at 10 years, um, I'm, I'm going to go do other things. Mm -hmm. Like the military does it, again, like four to six-year commitment right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. And here are all the things that we can get from you. Now, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily a fan of, of hiring 18 to 20-year-olds uh, for, uh, for police work um, because I just think there's, there's just not a lot of 
opportunity for maturity. Can some people do it at that age? Absolutely. But those are going to be rare finds. I think generally that's going to create more problems than it's, than it's going to solve. So, you know, that, that's, that's probably another conversation, but sure. there's the flexibility. Yeah. Um, I went, and I think to that point, if you can better articulate, which comes from a systemic level and also just who are you hiring in HR to have these conversations, right? Cause you can't promise something you can't deliver, right? right. Like if you're going to say, I'm going to give you all these different benefits and then you can't deliver on them. Great. But if you can help better define, hey, look, first question should always be with your employees. What do you want? Not how can you help us, but what can what can we do to make sure that you are making the right decision, right? So it has to be focused on the police officer and then or the potential police officer. And then it becomes, okay, I'm hearing that you you want to do this for five years and you maybe want to look into more and nobody really knows what they want to do when they're 25, right? But we can have a conversation and we can show you that we care. And then we start to say, okay, look, this is an outline. Like, look at this guy, Patrick Flannelly. This is what he did with his life. It didn't turn out great, but, you know, this <laughs> this is the kind of thing. No, no, you can you can do this for so many years, and then look what he's doing now. He's, he's capable of taking all of the knowledge and the power that he's found and going and helping other people, right? And he's not he's not wearing the badge anymore, but he's 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 being still being able to serve. Here are all these different paths. Instead of doing what the old high school career counselor did, which was, oh, you want to help people? Well, you're not smart enough to be a doctor, so let's drop down. Oh, police officer, their mean salary is this, which is a little bit higher than a nurse, so you're going to be a police officer. Go to college, right? Well, even back then, you didn't even have to go to college. And now they say if, if it's money is a thing, then, well, maybe you should go into the trades because, oh, by the way, you're going to make about – you know, twice Correct. what you're making in, yeah. in public safety. Oh, but by the way, you have to move from your family and everything that you love. But I didn't ask you if you cared about that part. <laughs> I just said, this is how much you want to make, right? And so you have to have the conversations with the employees or the potential employees and ask them what they want. And then then have the opportunities for them there where you can shift where they go and what they do. I like the rotational thing. Like you said, there's some 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 pain points to that where they you know they go from a high high stakes environment to a little bit more of a rest and recover environment but the point is better understand what your people are looking for and then help them understand what path they can take within your organization and if they can't fit within your organization that's okay but like sell the thing that you actually have don't try to just sell snake oil and tell them it's going to change their lives and you're going to be set up for life. I've had so many conversations with people who told me, and you've met me, stability yep. is not high level priority for me. I don't care about stability, right? Like I don't care where my next paycheck is. I want to be paid. I want to be recognized for my work, but I care more about making a difference. So when you tell me, oh, well, the, the retirement package here is, is phenomenal. I'm like, are you even listening <laughs> to what I'm saying? <laughs> Right, like you're not you you're you're worried about what you can, can get from you me. Can you hear the words that are coming out of my <laughs> mouth? <laughs> so so that's where it starts, in my opinion, is is better listening skills from the HR people or the or the leaders that are hiring, and then having a better opportunity to see where they can go within that career. Yeah, and and so again, another reason, um, this is probably true for any organization, right? But uh, new perspectives, new ideas. Um, a different way of thinking, sure. and it, you know, and that's always one of those things where I told myself, and, and maybe this is a problem too. Maybe if I'd have had a coach when I took, you know, when I started as a chief, hmm. you know, I I could have reframed some of these questions a little bit differently in my mind. But you know, one of the things I got in my head was like eight years. Mm-hmm. I literally I had that in my mind. I was like eight years. Um, the average tenure for a chief in the United States is three years. Hmm. 
So first goal was get the three, right? Of course, <laughs> you got to win, right? You got to beat everybody else. Well, I, you know, uh, because uh, anything less, in, in the, the joke is too, is like, hey, uh, what's it like being a chief? And I'm like, ah, it's like one decision away from being uh, a lieutenant again, you know? <laughs> and it, the decision that's made might not even be mine, right? Because now you become accountable and responsible for the decisions that other people make. Correct. So if somebody else makes a mistake or does something, I'm going to be held accountable for that. And welcome to leadership. Yeah, right? you know that going in, right? <laughs> yeah. But you know that. But that's just the reality, and that's sure. one of the reasons why the tenures for chiefs are so low. Look at some of these major metropolitan areas right now. They, I mean, there there are some cities that have had three chiefs in a year. For we're talking some of the biggest police departments in America. That is absurd. Mm -hmm. Well, that's and, and really good leaders are being forced out yeah. because there are. There are people outside of policing that don't understand it, but think they do, um, are driving... Uh, Tear them down. Yeah, they're driving decisions that don't make any sense. And so any leader uh, that really, you know, that understands what their morals are, you know, what lines they're, they're never going to cross. I mean, they're, they're like, no, I'm gone. I'm out. Yeah. Um, so all that being said, you know, I put this arbitrary number, eight years. And when I hit eight years, it was kind of like, I'm still here. <laughs> you know, I'm still here. Yeah. Now, I was in the midst of a big building project. We had a COVID hit. So it didn't make sense for me to leave then. And I, I would have felt like a quitter if I'd have walked out then. So I was, you know, there were some good things that came from that. But, sure. you know, the, the lesson for me is like, look, I, you know, maybe next time don't, don't put that, you know, whatever this next opportunity that I'm doing, don't put arbitrary numbers in your head yeah. and then feel like you have to hit these numbers. Sure. Um, yeah. it's like when you go for a workout, right? Yeah. You go out, whether it's a cross workout, whether it's a run, whether it's a ruck run, yeah. you got a, you got a target in your head and that helps you, right? Because you got to have a guidepost. You got to have something yep. that you're striving for, but at the same time, you got to understand your why. Yep. Got to be flexible. So, but, you know, when I was doing my Ironman, every once in a while, you got to look up and sight the shore, right? Because if you're swimming and swimming head down, head down, head down, you look up and you're this way and they're all that way. You're like, oh crap, right? So every once you got to have a goal, you got to know where you're going, but then you have to stand up once in a while and actually look up and see, you know, am I going in the right direction? And Simon Sinek talks, you, you said, you know, is like, you know, I, I had all these things I wanted to get done. So I didn't feel like I wanted to quit. Well, for anybody listening, the two things you need to continue to move forward is will and resources, right? In the right. book, Infinite Game, will and resources. You had the will, so you wanted to do it. And you had the resources. You you had the mental energy, the physical, emotional energy to see that through. And that's why you kept going. When one of those two things falls apart or falls down, leave. Go somewhere else or find it again in some other way. And that can be done in the same career. But maybe you have to shift course a little bit. Yeah. And, and one of the things I wanted to touch on, too, because... This is true for no matter who you are in, in, in an organization. So one of, the, one of the things that coaching can bring to a police department is that you get these officers that are three, four, five years. Um, maybe they don't feel like their job path is, is going in the trajectory that they want. Mm -hmm. And they start looking externally first for solutions and reasons why. Mm -hmm. Um and we see that a lot. And I'm sure that's every organization, right? Well, the community doesn't like me. You know, my sergeant hates me. I get bad evaluations. Um, and there's nobody to check that, you know, if you don't have good frontline supervisors um, or if you don't have good leadership 
talking about these things, hey, make sure that we're addressing this on a regular basis, then I think a young officer can get adrift, like like they feel a little bit disconnected. Sure. And so leaving, it becomes an option um, when that just n- might not be the, the right thing to do for them. Yeah. Like, because the grass isn't always greener and you don't want to find that out the hard way. Sure. What you want to do is is when you when you climb the fence and step over, when you put your feet on the ground, you want to feel confident about what you're doing and, again, why you did it and what, what your purpose and direction is because there's no guarantee of success on that side, um, but you can't keep one foot on one side of the fence and one on the other because once you get there, now you're no good to your future and you're also no good to where you are. Correct. So having a good coach... That can, and this is one of the things that I really love about uh, the performance protocol program is that you get to officers when they're in this when they're in this uh, stage of ideation, mm-hmm. like something something else is better. When really, what they need they need to talk to somebody from outside of their their bubble, outside yep. of their normal network that understands the profession, that understands what they're doing, and that's and that's what they've done is they've taken law enforcement professionals, they've trained them in the art of coaching. And they've given them these tools so you can have these good, hard, honest conversations. Yeah. And because of that, they so far to date, and I think we're now in like 13 states, a lot of pilots, um, uh, you know, some, some of these pilots, you know, the numbers are small, but the numbers are getting bigger every year that we go. And the ideation to leave uh, is has gone to zero in the agencies where we've worked. Yeah. Well, not the ideation, but the actual people leaving, leaving which yeah. is even more important, yeah. right? So, you should. Well, so so two points there. One, the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's green where you water it, right? Right. So you, you got to look internally and ask yourself that. But two is the question of whether or not there's something better out there is irrevocably. The answer is yes. There's always something better. The, but that's not the question you're trying to ask. The question you're trying to ask is, can I make it better here? Right. Do I have the will and the resources to make it better here? Or... Is it better suited for me to go somewhere else? And sometimes people don't see the how do I make it better here because they're so in it all the time. They feel buried. So they're like, oh, going somewhere else is the only answer. But they also have to have people within their organization that they can go to and safely and confidently say, you know what, chief? I've been thinking about leaving. I'm not sure what the right answer is for me. And I have to be able to trust that I can say that to you. And your answer isn't, well, I better start looking for your replacement now. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. Right. And uh, that can be hard for chief because your first thing that you're thinking about is how am I going to replace this dude? I just trained him. Right. Like, how is he already thinking? There has to be an open line of communication where I feel, you know, everybody hates the word safe. Right. But I feel safe being able to go to you and say, I'm thinking about leaving. Do you have any advice for me? And maybe that answer is I'm a coach. I could be biased. But maybe that answer is, well, we have we have this group of coaches that can help you decide that. I ultimately want what's best for you. So maybe the answer is leaving for you, but I would love for you to take an opportunity. You wanted to do this at some point in your life. Let's take an opportunity to determine maybe if there's a better way to fulfill your drive here than to go somewhere else. Let's talk to this coach. Right. You know? Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's a hard thing to do for a lot of reasons. It's just, that's, and that's the next hurdle, right? So, all right, we've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about core values, motivations. We've talked about um, the job seeker priorities uh, and what to think about career development and advancement. Um, the, the, and let's let's close it out on this. We don't have to spend a lot of time here mm-hmm. because I, know, I think we, we we also covered this on your podcast. But yeah. you know, work life balance, well being. I you know, work life balance is kind of a 
it's a term that gets thrown around there a lot. I mean, in, in the policing profession, if you're expecting a, uh, a work-life balance from day one, then, again, this is where the conversations may have gone sideways or they, they just clearly didn't occur, right? You're going to work nights. You're going to work weekends. You're going to work holidays. You are going to miss Thanksgiving with your family. You're going to miss Christmas. You're going to miss uh, soccer games, football games, t-ball games, Um that's just the reality of the job. Sure. And an organization can provide as much flexibility as they can to try to, you know, create an environment where if you can make it, you'll make it. But that's just the reality of the work of shift work is a 24, seven, 365 job. So, um, work. And I want to touch on one particular area because I got into a conversation with somebody on LinkedIn the other day, and these come up often, right? Is, Police departments, it, you know, people are saying, hey, look, you got to take care of yourself. You got to be physically fit. You got to eat well. Mm-hmm. And um, there's always these back and forths that go with like, well, I don't have time to work out. <clears throat> and my organization doesn't make it a priority. So they don't pay me to come in. You know, they, I, won't, I don't get paid to come work out. If they did, I would. And I'm like, that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and anybody that's telling themselves that, this is why you need to work with a coach, sure. uh, you know, and don't work with somebody in, you know, that, you know, because then you take it personally, yeah. um, work with somebody outside that. Like when you get hired as a police officer, I don't care where you are. There's a minimum physical fitness standard sure. that you have to that you have to hit, which we appreciate as citizens <laughs> that my police officer can run down a bad guy yeah. and, and, if I'm in the backyard of my house and I just had a heart attack when I'm mowing the grass, um, you know, do I want a police officer that can hop the fence and come start doing CPR and, you know, uh, put an AED on me? Yeah. Uh, sure. When the firemen get there, they're going to bust the fence down, right? <laughs> 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 I love but, it. You know, and you know what? And when cops, you know, firemen are great at that shit and they never get in trouble for it, you know. <laughs> Kicking in doors. You hey, know, you got to stop or cutting, else they're going to go to firemen instead well, of the police well, officers. Well, here, I, t- I talk about this a lot now. The firemen, they got this stuff figured out because yeah. they've got really good schedules yeah. and nobody questions it. Like, nobody yeah. questions the fact, you know, they work a day. Now, look, the job requirements are different. So <laughs> it requires an interesting conversation. But, um, well being, in, in work life balance. Yeah, but that's what I'm talking about. Like, <laughs> There are certain things that you that an employer can provide for sure. you, but there are certain things you just have to do on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody can want you to be healthy if yeah. you don't want to be healthy. I yeah. can't make you um, not go through the drive-through at McDonald's. Yeah, I can't make you um, not pick up the the monster drinks and the you know five thousand calorie drinks from Starbucks. Yeah, um, you you've got to really think about what your plan is to maintain a good level of fitness and, and health and. When an agent, I think where the synergy is when agencies can provide as much resources as they can and make that available to you, then that that's the future too. So yeah. agencies have to start doing this. It's not you. sure. So 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 well being is it's the world I live in, right? And I don't think well I don't talk about well being as like I feel good, I'm happy all the time, blah blah blah. I'm talking about well being in that I'm able to live the life I want to live in the way that I want to live it for as long as I can possibly live it like right longevity. And so when, when I'm talking about well-being, so you, you mentioned, you know, the workplace shouldn't have to tell you that you want to be physically fit. I agree wholeheartedly when, when our workplaces allow for the resources and we better understand our purpose, we go, 
I want to be able to serve my community to the fullest. If I'm going to do that, I need to be physically healthy so that I can do my job well. Oh, that's also going to help my occupational wellness because I I feel more fulfilled in the work I do. It's also going to help my spiritual wellness because when I save that kid from drowning because I jumped into the pool and swam 100 yards or the lake, then I can... I can feel fulfilled in the work that I do. My emotional health is better because I'm more well-balanced. I can take that home and be happier and less stressed with my wife and leave the stuff at work, right? The new term is now work-life integration, um, and people hate it because a lot of organizations are using it as a way to say, oh, let's integrate your work in your life, and I can make you work all the time, right? <laughs> and that's, that's not the right way to look about it. But yeah. if you know what you're doing and why you're doing it, like my, my life and my work bleed, right? There's no, there's no segregation. What I'm doing right now is work. It's also my life, right? And so not everybody's going to be there. But if you don't understand what you want out of your career personally, not because your workplace told you it's what you wanted, but because you know it personally, until you know that, you can't get to a place where work and life are balanced or you can't get to a place where you know what that looks like. There are, I know tons of people who you know, make $45,000 a year and they go mountain biking on the weekends and that's the life they love. They can leave their work at home or at work and they don't have to worry about that, but they know that's what they want. So knowing what you want, knowing those eight dimensions of your wellness, which we never even touched on and better. We did on your podcast. Though. Yes, we did. They have to go watch it. Next better. To it. There you go. Uh, those are the things that are going to help you make the easier decision of, yes, I need to take care of myself. All right. We've covered a lot of ground and um, we, we need to wrap it up. So any final thoughts? I have all the thoughts, right? Well, but if I had to wrap it up all into one, I hope for people that they can find the space, the direction and the momentum to improve all their well-being so that they can live fulfilling lives. I hope that the people that are listening to this who are on the fence about whether policing is right for them or not can think more deeply about whether it is and start to ask those questions of their workforce of, you know, hey, can we have a conversation about what a career could look like here? And when I'm starting to feel burnout, are you open to the idea of talking about it so we can find a different path? I also hope that the people who are listening who are in the leadership world of policing can start to ask, what am I doing to listen to the people who are thinking about being a police officer so that I can better serve them? Because as a leader, that's what you are. You serve the people that work for you um, while also maintaining the integrity of my workforce and my, my um, organization because we have to do that as well. That's my hope. Right on. All right, what's one book? Give, give the audience one book. Uh, uh, you've already said Simon Sinek. Start with why. Start with why. I'm, I'm reading a book right now called Flourish by Martin Seligman, um, the, one of the founders of positive psychology. Basically, let's stop fixing all our bad symptoms and getting rid of depression and anxiety, and let's start focusing on flourishing in life by focusing on the positive. Right on. Yep. Um, yeah, this, is, this one is in my, is in my, uh, my next reading. Um, I'm in between books right now finished one yesterday uh -huh. so this is my next one uh, the practice of groundedness brad stolberg if you haven't uh, so um he's he was partners on a book called do hard things a couple others um which are great books all right we're gonna wrap it up thanks lucas woody appreciate where can it. where can people find you they want to uh, know more about what you're doing nextbetter.com next better n-e-x-t-b-e-t-t-e-r.com got it right on well, thanks. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate you uh, being the first in-house guest. Thanks for sharing my really good coffee with me. And uh, till the next time. All right. We'll be 1042. 
The Coptimizer podcast is powered by Performance Protocol. Performance Protocol brings professional executive coaching to police officers and administrators at all levels of the organization. Performance Protocol has the blueprint that will operationalize organizational optimization. It is purpose-built for today's public safety employees to help them accomplish goals and live better. What is it? One-on-one video-based coaching with officers and leaders who have been in your shoes and know firsthand what it means to live and work in public safety. The program will connect you with certified coaches who combine their years of success in the world of law enforcement with world-class training from the cobble of performance protocol coaches. Get the support, resources, motivation you need to live the life you want. Performance protocol coaches are relatable, knowledgeable, and confidential. Most importantly, they get results. Why should the keys to unlocking our peak performance be reserved for just the boardroom or the playing field? Unleash your full potential today and get started with Performance Protocol. Remember, performance is the goal. Protocol is the path. Log into www.performance-protocol and learn more about how to bring this program to your agency and community.